back to Philippians for our next message in our series through this book. I want to ask you if you could give someone just one piece of life advice, what would it be? Just one. You don't get tons of opportunities. What if someone was asking you, you know, what is the most important thing that I can do with my life in order to have significance and meaning in my life? What should it be? Well, in our passage today in Philippians 1, 27 to 30, God himself, through Paul, actually gives us some instruction like that of, this is the most important thing that you should focus on with your life. And in this passage, if we were to just sum it up in one sentence, Paul says, and God says, live worthy of the gospel through unified perseverance because of its eternal and present significance. So that's the the thrust, the big idea that God is presenting to us in these verses. Live worthy of the gospel through unified perseverance because of its eternal and present significance. That's what God says is of supreme importance, not just for the Philippians, but for us as well. The problem, though, is that living that way can make life difficult and uncomfortable. We've seen already in Philippians that living this kind of life centered on the gospel means making sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. That's not easy to do. We've seen that it can bring suffering into our lives as people oppose us and our gospel efforts. And when we face those kinds of difficulties, like sacrificing time or money or energy to advance the gospel, or when we suffer at maybe at work or with friends or family because of our commitment to the gospel, when we face those things, it can be easy to lose sight of what is most important in life, of the gospel's extreme significance for our lives. Because when we face those things, we we might just want to escape the suffering, or we just want to get comfort so that we're not having to sacrifice so much. And if we're all focused as a church, each individually, if we're all focused on just what I want, what I need, my comfort, that actually leads to disunity among us, and it dishonors Christ and the gospel. And so that's why Paul is reminding the Philippians here of this extremely significant thing that we need to be focused on as a church. So when we're in a situation like that where we're having to make sacrifices or we're suffering or even just our day-to-day lives, how do we live worthy of the gospel? And is it really that important that we do so? Well, that's what Paul talks about here in Philippians 1, 27 to 30. So let's read our passage, and then we'll pray 
before we jump into it. Paul says, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. And this is from God, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Let's pray. God, you are worthy of all of our life. You have given your own son to purchase us from sin. How could we not give everything to you in return. Lord, help us this morning as we look at this passage in your word. Help us to see how worthy you are that we should honor you with our lives. God, open our eyes to see how important that is and that we should honor you. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word this morning, you would build our faith, that we would obey this passage, that we would seek by your grace to live out these principles in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts, mine included. Lord, I have no power to change us. I pray that I would simply be your channel of grace to all of us here today and that in all things Christ would be magnified and exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that Paul says is simply that we must live worthy of the gospel. And he starts off by saying that living worthy of the gospel is of supreme importance. There is really nothing more important than living your life worthy of the gospel. Well, how do we know that? Most translations, what you're probably looking at in your Bible, starts this verse 27 with just the word only. Others capture the idea better, I think. Uh, the NIV says, whatever happens. Or my translation, the CSB says, just one thing. And I think that's, that's really the best way to put it because the Greek is, Paul just says, one. It's just the word one. So just one thing. If you have this one central thing that I want you to know, Paul says, this is what it is. Live worthy of the gospel. And if you think about the situation that the Philippians were in, this is pretty striking. As we've seen, the Philippians, they were this, this small church you know, surrounded by a pagan culture. When Paul was there, he was actually thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And even in this passage, Paul says that they are suffering just like he did. And they're a poor church. They don't have a lot of money, a lot of resources 
And so Paul could have said something like, hey, it's important that you guys, you know, try and be nice with the culture around you, compromise a little bit so that things go easier for you. That's not what he says. He could have said, you really need to focus on getting a bunch of money so that you guys can get a really awesome, like, building and things like that. That's not what he says. He says, what you need to do, just one thing, is live worthy of the gospel. So what does that mean? Well, living worthy of the gospel means honoring Christ. That's the idea of that phrase. It's it's that you see how highly worthy Jesus is, that he is supreme over everything else. And because of that, you want to live in a way that honors him because he is so worthy of that honor. And the gospel has brought you to see that and to love him and know him. And so you live in a way that honors Christ, that displays his worth to the world around you. You could paraphrase it like this, live in a way that honors the gospel of Christ because of its great worth. And so it begins, having this kind of lifestyle begins with seeing the matchless worth of Christ and the gospel. If you turn over to Philippians chapter 3, just turn a page in your Bibles. It's this mindset that Paul presents at the heart of Philippians and the heart of his life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. That's the mindset that we have to have in order to live worthy of the gospel. We see that Jesus is so much better than anything else that we could have. We rejoice in Him. And in comparison to Christ, really everything else is like trash. Even though they may be good things, Jesus is so much better. And when you, when you think of Christ like that, when you realize how worthy He is, you will do everything possible to honor Him with your life. It would be like if you imagine that you are a poor homeless person begging on the side of the road. I mean, you have next to nothing. You're completely dependent on just what people hand you from day to day. But then one day, this well-dressed man comes along and he sees you and he says, I want you to come live with me. In fact, I'm going to make you part of my family. You have access to all of my wealth, and he's a really wealthy guy. And so you go with him, and you, he goes through all the legal processes of making you part of his family, and you go from living like this to living like this. Nobility, wealth, maybe even royalty. You know, you've got it so good now. 
This is nothing compared to what you had before. It's so much better. And when you are in that situation and you realize what these people have done for you, the grace they've shown you, and you realize what an honorable and worthy family this is that you've been brought into, you're not going to go out and go back on the roadside in your filthy clothes and start begging again. You're not going to go live in a way that brings dishonor to this family's reputation. No, if you realize how worthy they are and how gracious they've been to you, you are going to do everything to live in a way that brings this family honor because they are worthy of it. Well, friends, if you have trusted in Christ, that is exactly what has happened to you. Christ has come and he has taken you out of the slums of sin and death and hell and he has brought you into the family of God himself. What higher honor could we possibly have than being a child of God, the king of the universe? That is what Christ has done for us. He has taken us out of Satan's family and his darkness and transferred us into God's family as his children. Do we see how worthy he is that we honor him with everything in our lives? That is why Paul tells us to live worthy of the gospel through unified perseverance because of its eternal and present significance. But that still might seem a little abstract. What does it look like to actually practically live out living worthy of the gospel? Well, that's what Paul goes on to talk about. And as our big idea says, we do this through unified perseverance. We live worthy of the gospel through unified perseverance. Look at verse 27 again. He says, just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or, an, or am absent, I will hear about you. Okay, so Paul says, if you live this way, I'm going to hear these things about you or maybe see these things about you. So living this way results in what kind of lifestyle? That you are standing firm, there's the perseverance part, in one spirit. There's the unified part. So living worthy of the gospel looks like unified perseverance. But before we delve into that deeper, I just want to highlight something that might sound kind of obvious when I point it out, but it often gets overlooked, is that Paul here is writing to a church as a whole. Yes, this applies to us individually, but primarily, Paul is pr uh, applying this to the entire Philippian church. He is applying this to us as a church, as a whole. Because the Christian life is not just something that you live out by yourself. It is not a solo endeavor. Christians should not, I would almost say cannot, 
be lone rangers out there trying to live worthy of the gospel by themselves. Paul is saying that if you truly want to live worthy of the gospel, that means unifying with a local church, being a part of a local church, being involved. And practically for us, that's just one reason we practice church membership. That's a a visible, tangible sign of expressing that we are committing to one another to be unified to live this way. So I just want to point that out because it is important as we go through to recognize that Paul is viewing this as living worthy of the gospel in a community, in a church, not just by ourselves. And the first way that works it works itself out is through unified gospel service. So the unity is specifically for gospel service. Look at the end of verse 27 again. He says that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. And the word for mind here, your translation probably has mind. I think every translation I looked at says mind, except for the NIV. It's really the word for soul. A word that refers not just to how you think, but to your entire inner spiritual being. Your emotions, your thinking, your desires, your will, all these things. And the NIV says it really well, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This this deep unity that our church should have is almost like we are working together as if we were one person. That is the kind of unity that Paul envisions for a church that is focused on the gospel. And this unity is for the purpose of gospel service. He says that we're working side by side for the faith of the gospel. So that probably seems to refer to the faith that believes in the gospel. So we as a church should be united in our efforts to spread the gospel so that people have faith in it. That is the first primary way that we live worthy of the gospel. And Paul tells us the manner in which we should do this. He says it's working. And I would, it is work. But I would say that even that translation is a little weak. Others say striving. The Greek word is literally soon athleto. Soon means with. Athleto is the word we get athlete from. So Paul is telling us here that we need a sports team to spread the gospel. We need to be the Rocky Mountain Bible Church. Come on, there it is. Soccer team, right? Isn't that what Paul's telling us? No, no, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that the, just like a sports team trains hard together and they play hard to win their games and they are unified as a team with this single goal of we want to win this game, that is how our church should be in our efforts to spread the gospel. We need to be like a sports team working hard to 
prepare to share the gospel with people, working together to take it to our community. And yes, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take intense effort, and it will take deep unity. But Christ is worthy of us doing that for his name. Now you might wonder, why is, why is unity so important to our evangelistic efforts? What's the big deal? Can't I just go out and, you know, share the gospel with people? Well, yeah, you can, but let me give you three reasons why unity as a church is so important and powerful to our efforts as a church to share the gospel. The first is simply that the work is too big for people to sit on the sidelines. We need everyone involved. No one person can do all the work that needs to be done. Secondly, unity is a powerful testimony to the gospel. When people see a bunch of different people like us with different backgrounds, different ages, different jobs, different interests and hobbies, when they see us coming together in this deep gospel-focused unity, they're going to know that's not normal. What is different about these people? And I'll just say I've seen this in my own life. The church that Angie and I moved from in South Carolina we were going through a, a revitalization process, sort of like our church, and the pastor there was focused, one of his goals was on deep unity. And there was a lady who lived across the road from the church, and she began to notice our church gathering on Sundays, worshiping together. She would see people out in the parking lot, you know, getting along, fellowshipping. And one day she came to church, and she got saved. And the pastor asked her, like, well, what brought you here? And she said, I watched you guys from across the parking lot, and you had something that I didn't, and I wanted to know what it was. And that's what led to her getting saved. And man, she, she was so joyful and on fire for the Lord after that. It was awesome. So unity is a powerful testimony that the gospel is real, that it changes people. And on the flip side, imagine... If we're all divided and just doing our own thing, nobody's going to want to be a part of that, of division. And then thirdly, unity strengthens us to persevere. So when we're united, we can encourage one another. We can help one another when things get difficult. So imagine with me that we, we host like a church outreach event. We're hosting this event, reaching out to our community, and it, we need everyone to pull it off. You know, everyone plays their part, big or small. And while we're there, Colleen's helping out, and some lady walks up to her and just chews her out. Just, I mean, just lets her have it. I hate what you guys are doing. This is awful. You are terrible. Colleen might get discouraged. Okay, after that. Now, this is all hypothetical. <laughs> Kali might get discouraged, and so she might go sit down, and let's say Lindsay notices that and goes over to her and says, Hey, you doing okay? Shares some scripture with her to encourage her, prays with her, and Kali's ready to get back in the game 
after that. And then someone who's at the event, who's lost, sees that and says, whoa, these two ladies who are very different, have you know, different family situations, different jobs, all these things. Wow, they have a, a love for one another. A, they care about each other. I want to know more about that. And then we get the opportunity to share the gospel with her. That's just one realistic way that unity could actually help us as we seek to share the gospel. So what do we need then in order to have this kind of unity? Well, I would say that practically we, we need four things. First, a focus on the gospel. We are all focused on the right thing, the gospel. We are focused on the same thing. And so as a church, that's why we preach the gospel. We preach Christ. We sing songs about Christ in the gospel. When we pray, it's focused on the gospel. That must be our focus. Secondly, everyone has to be willing to play their part, big or small. It doesn't have to be something grand. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to do this. But are you willing to do what you can to help our church work together to advance the gospel? Thirdly, as Paul will go on to talk about in chapter 2, we need sacrificial love for one another. You can't have unity if you don't really love other people. If you're just focused on yourself and you're not serving others, it's not going to lead to unity. And then lastly, our church will need leadership that organizes and trains everyone to be involved according to their abilities and gifts. You know, every successful sports team has a good coach that knows this person is a good fit for this position and he knows how to train them and all these different things. And as our church is currently going through a, a transition time in leadership with Lee stepping down and other leadership coming in in the future, that's one thing that we as a church must look for. Can this person equip the saints, as Ephesians 4 says, to do the work of the ministry? Do they know how to lead the church and organize it in such a way that we are unified and everyone is being utilized for the advancement of the gospel? So if we want this unity, that's what we need. We need love, sacrificial love for one another, a focus on the gospel, everyone willing to play their part, and leadership that can organize and, and be a catalyst for that. So that's the first practical way that we live worthy of the gospel, through unified gospel service. The second, as Paul goes on to say, is that we live worthy of the gospel through fearless perseverance. Look at verse 28. He says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Now, we don't know exactly what sort of suffering the Philippians were going through, but someone in some way was opposing them in their efforts to live worthy of the gospel. 
Paul says, don't give up, don't be afraid, don't back down because of this opposition. Now that doesn't mean that if someone opposes us, we get up in their face and we get mean and hateful at them. It's not what Paul's talking about. It simply means that we continue to live the way that Paul's telling us to live. We don't back off and compromise or stop doing what we're doing because we're afraid. There's no reason for us to be afraid, Paul says. And by God's grace, we continue to love our enemies. We continue to share the gospel. And we continue to live in a way that honors Christ. And if you're not afraid of your opponents, on the other side, that means that you're still confident, you're still bold in what you believe. And have you ever considered how your confidence in the gospel is a powerful testimony to it? It shows your opponents that, hey, I really believe this. I don't care what you do, I'm not backing down because this is true. This is the truth. And then it attracts those who don't have confidence in what they believe. Our culture today, even here, is very much, I'm going to pick and grab from everything. I'm going to believe a little bit of this thing and a little bit of that thing and a little bit of this thing. Why is that? It's because they don't have any confidence in any one thing. So they're like, well, I'm just going to take a little bit of everything to to make sure that in the end, you know, something's got to work out, right? That's not how it works. When we stand up and we confidently say that this is the truth, and there's someone out there who is looking for that kind of stability and confidence, they're going to say, hey, I want to know, why are you so bold and confident in what you believe? How do you know this is the truth? And it is a powerful and attractive witness, especially in our pluralistic culture that we're in. So unified perseverance. Is this what you want our church to be known for? Living worthy of the gospel in this way. It's interesting that Paul says he wants them to live this way so that, verse 27, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear these things about you. Paul says if you live this way, it's going to affect your reputation. And so we, as a church, if we live this way, it's going to affect our reputation positively for a good thing. When someone out in our, in our town thinks of Rocky Mountain Bible Church or Rocky Mountain Bible Church is mentioned, what do you want them to think? Don't you want them to have thoughts like, oh yeah, that's the church that when they have an event or something, it's, they're so unified. They really love one another and they're passionate about what they believe. And they've been through some tough times, but boy, they haven't quit. Isn't that the kind of Christ-honoring reputation that you want our church to have? That is what we need, and that is what will happen as we grow in living worthy of the gospel. 
Well, quickly, how do we persevere without fear then? Well, just I'll give you three ways. I know I've been doing a lot of three quick things, but unity. As we've mentioned, unity will help us persevere because we can encourage and help one another. Secondly, remember that Christ is worth suffering for. When the early church faced persecution for the gospel in the book of Acts, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. And then thirdly is what Paul moves into next in our last section, is remember the significance of living worthy of the gospel. So that's the last point we're going to look at. Paul says to live worthy of the gospel through unified perseverance because of its eternal and present significance. Look at verse 28 again. The second half, Paul says, This is a sign of destruction, excuse me, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So Paul says, first off, when we consider the gospel's significance, it signifies eternal destruction. And this really is a a sobering reality That when we live this way, when we are unified, when we persevere through opposition, it is a sign from God, our our living this way is a sign that the people who oppose us will face eternal destruction. And that's somber, sobering. And it's not that they'll be destroyed simply because they oppose us, but because by opposing us in the gospel, they're opposing God. They are putting themselves squarely against Christ and his purposes. And so when we live this way, it should stir up compassion in us. It should break our hearts, honestly, for those who oppose the gospel in these ways. But also, it does encourage us, knowing that we are doing the right thing, and that in eternity, Christ will vindicate us for what we have done in living worthy of the gospel. And that should encourage us to be fearless. If you know that your opponent is on the losing side that they have no chance of winning, why be afraid of them? This is an encouragement to us. On the other hand, living worthy of the gospel signifies eternal salvation. He says this is a sign of destruction for them, the opponents, but of your deliverance, or literally the word is salvation. So he's talking here about our Salvation in Christ, the eternal salvation that we have in him. When we live this way, it is a sign of our salvation. Living this way is visible evidence that we have truly been saved, that we have true faith in Christ and the gospel, and it's a foretaste of the full and eternal salvation that we will receive 
at Christ's return. So living worthy of the gospel is like a coin. It's a two-sided sign. You've got heads and tails. On the one hand, when we live this way, it is a sign from God that those who oppose the gospel will be destroyed. On the other hand, it is a sign for us that we are saved and that that will result in full eternal salvation for us in eternity when Christ returns. And Paul really does single out, and this is from God. This isn't just nice words to try and make the Philippians feel better. This is a divine sign from God. And Paul really focuses on that in the last two verses, that this is part of God's grace to us. Living worthy of the gospel signifies present grace. Look at verse 29. Paul says, For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So how, when we, when we consider the eternal significance of living this way, how can we know that that's really true, that those things are going to happen? It's because right now, living this way signifies that you have experienced God's grace. And I say grace because the word in verse 29, forgiven, is actually just the verb form of the word grace. It's God has graced you on Christ's behalf to believe in him and to suffer for him. So if, when you put your faith in Christ, when you trust in him to save you from sin, God gives you that grace and it includes faith, but it also includes suffering. Faith is a gift from God and suffering is also a gift from God. And that sounds really weird, doesn't it? To our natural minds, we would say, how in the world can suffering be a gift, part of God's grace to us? And it really does take the Spirit of God transforming how we think to align our thoughts with God's thoughts and think this way. But how is suffering part of God's grace to us? Well, we've already seen in chapter 1, as we've preached through there, that God uses our suffering to advance the gospel and glorify Christ. That's what Paul's talking about all over the place in chapter 1 as he's in prison. Later, if you turn over to chapter 3 again, chapter 3 where Paul is talking about rejoicing in the Lord, he says that suffering actually draws us closer to Christ and makes us more like him. Look at chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, My goal is to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So the idea there is Paul saying, when I suffer for Christ, I'm experiencing similar things that Christ suffered, and that 
draws me deeper into my relationship with him and it gives me an opportunity to experience more of Jesus's resurrection power in my life as I go through these sufferings. So when we value these things, God's glory and advancing the gospel and being like Christ, when we value those things more than our personal comfort, then we really come to understand that suffering really is part of God's grace to us. And is that not an encouragement when we suffer to know that that suffering didn't just come randomly out of nowhere? Satan and evil are not in control. But the suffering that we experience is part of God's good and wise plan for us. That can comfort and encourage us. Suffering is not a sign that God has forsaken us and turned away from us. It's actually part of his love to draw us closer to him. And for the Philippians, Paul says, as we've seen in in verse 30, that their suffering was similar to his. We don't know exactly what that was. Maybe some of them were put in prison, just like Paul, but we don't know. But I think what Paul's doing here by mentioning this is that he's hinting at the Philippians to follow his example of how he endured suffering. So far in chapter 1, Paul has given them his example of, I'm suffering right now, I'm in prison for the gospel, Here is how I am handling it in a way that glorifies Jesus. And so he says, you're experiencing the same thing. Implication is you need to handle it in the same way that I'm handling it. And so for us, what this really, how this really applies to us is it encourages us to look at the testimonies and the lives of other Christians to see how they've handled suffering And that can help us know how to handle suffering, too, in a way that honors Christ. That could be people that we know personally. It could be um, resources like Voice of the Martyrs, which you've mentioned here several times. Our prayer for gospel advancement this morning, the information came from that organization. Voice of the Martyrs, they give stories of Christians today who are suffering for the gospel and how they are persevering through that. Or it could just mean reading biographies about missionaries and other Christians who have endured hard things similar to us. Really, there's a wealth of resources that can help us in this area. The Bible has many examples of Christians, believers who have suffered. So I would say go there first. And God can use those things to encourage us, give us Christ-like examples of how to follow uh, Christ in our suffering. So living worthy of the gospel, we live worthy of the gospel through unified perseverance because of its eternal and present significance. When Paul wrote this letter, to the Philippian church. They were a small, poor, suffering church, 
surrounded by a culture that did not like the gospel that they believed. And God said that the most important thing for them was living worthy of the gospel. And if Paul were to write to our church today, I guarantee you he would say the same thing is of supreme importance for us. He would say, Rocky Mountain Bible Church, live worthy of the gospel. You do that through unified perseverance. By being unified to spread the gospel, by persevering fearlessly through opposition, and you do it because of the significance of living this way. There are eternal ramifications for living this way. And it signifies to us now that we really are recipients. We have received God's grace. So, Rocky Mountain Bible Church, are you with me in this to live worthy of the gospel in this way and honor Christ who is supremely worthy? Together, let's live worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you that in it we find absolute truth that can be an anchor for our souls when we go through suffering. We find truth to help us have the right perspective on life. And most of all, in your word, we, we find the gospel that points us to Jesus, that tells us that Jesus is supremely worthy and that brings us to a right relationship with him. And Lord, I pray for all of us here today that we would, through faith in your word, by your grace and your spirit, that we would live worthy of the gospel. You deserve honor from our lives. Help us to give it to you, O Lord, through unity and perseverance, and help us to have a, a right perspective on your grace and on eternity. And it's in Christ's name and for, and for his name that I pray now. Amen.